Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today we're going to be talking once again about the GIT, mm. but this time we're yeah. going to focus on the GIT tumors. That's right. And so we're going to talk about today different tumors that you find from the beginning of the, so from the esophagus all the way all the way down the GIT. Yeah, pretty much. So we're, we talked about the lower GIT. So colorectal cancers in our previous podcast. Yeah. The focus for today's episode is going to be the upper GIT tumors. Um, so mainly talking about the esophagus, talking about gastric, and there's a special type of gastric cancer that we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. as well, which is especially important. Let's kick off the episode by talking about esophageal cancer. In terms of demographics, what and, mm-hmm. and who is at risk of developing it? So esophageal cancers or esophageal carcinomas are um, definitely a common phenomenon worldwide. But if you have to say it's less common in Western countries, mm. there is a clear distinction between the demographic separation. I think um, I was told that in Eastern countries... Yeah, Middle Eastern Middle countries, Eastern, there might be a high yeah, prevalence. But where there's comparatively in Australia... There, there's a bit less of a, um, a, a prevalence of the, yeah, these diseases. That's right. But with this, um, with esophageal carcinomas, the incidence of um, of the cancer increases with age, and currently, statistics-wise, is rising in Australia as yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, Andy, what are some of the risk factors for um, esophageal mm. cancers? There are many risk factors for it. One of them is a social economic status, mm. and um, so a lower ec- social economic status has been found to have a, a to be a risk factor mm-hmm. of um, the cancers, and maybe it might be due to the following risk factors that also occur. So alcohol and smoking are very important risk factors for it. Yeah, and also obesity as well as well as other reflux diseases such as Barrett's metaplasia or Barrett's esophagus. Those yeah. can also lead to um, also are very important risk factors. That's right. Can you think of any yeah. other ones? There's thermal injuries. Well, in some countries, so in the Middle East, okay. um, people like to drink their tea really hot, so okay. very boiling hot. And oh. that's where there might be this um, increased incidence oh. of this in, in those countries where they consume really hot tea and so they burn their esophagus as the tea is traveling to the stomach. Interesting. Um, so thermal injury is an issue. Obviously, radiation therapy where you cause damage to the esophagus is an important issue. Yes. There's some toxins that are uh, important to consider as well. Yeah. These are important in countries where individual there's no the rate of smoking and alcohol intake is quite low. So mycotoxins, okay. so toxins produced by fun- fungus, uh-huh. nitroso compounds. I think nitroso compounds is that from like burnt food. I have to find out. Yeah, I think it might be. And obviously, occupational hazards, so exposure to asbestos and metal dust are important as well. There are some dietary deficiencies that might place you at increased risk. So trace elements, vitamin A deficiency, vitamin B, so riboflavin deficiency, and vitamin C are possible risk factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think genetic risk factors may play a role. So aldehyde dehydrogenate, I think, which is involved in metabolism of alcohol or mm. in the pathway of exactly. alcoholic metabolism is important to consider as well. Yes. Are there any other risk factors that you can think well, of? Well, we've covered a, a general list yeah. of the more common risk factors that, that occur. Yeah, that's what a good is- yeah, good point. What are some mm. common types of esophageal cancer? So you've got yep. really two key types, don't you? Two key types. The first yep. one we'll go through is squamous cell carcinomas. So from the name, the carcinoma suggests it's of an epithelial origin. Yeah. And um, we're talking about the squamous squamous cells this time. So the appearance of a squamous cell carcinoma is that it can the cancer will or could possibly protrude into the lumen. Mm-hmm. And if you imagine, you know, the, the esophagus, it's it's a very small narrow tube that, that food passes through. If you've got any protrusion, 
that could lead to obstruction and I guess that would secondarily lead to some difficulty swallowing. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. right. So, Andy, like with these sort of things, you said that it protrudes. Mm. Are there any other sort of symptoms that we need mm. to be mindful of? Well, or any it, other features? Well, other than protrusions, it could also cause ulcerations and other um, infiltrative lesions that could also, I guess, cause narrowing mm. uh, rigidity or thickening of the esophagus. Maybe I, I, I'm speculating it could be due to some like fibrosis. Or I think so. And I guess it yeah. makes sense that you might get ulcerated lesions because if you're mm. swallowing food, yeah. it can be quite abrasive and it could also damage the... Because these are exophytic tumors, yeah. so they protrude into the lumen and it could cause abras- abrasive... Mm. Um, interruptions in 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 the tumors mm. um, and obviously mm-hmm. you know they can start infiltrating to surrounding structures if they progress in uh, in stage okay and so they can affect the esophagus is very close to the trachea and also yes. the bifurcation so the carina yes so they can invade into the respiratory tree um, they lie close very close to the aorta as well so yes. they can potentially um, infiltrate into the aorta the other con- consideration is if you catch it too late it could spread into the thoracic structures um, that are surrounding it Ooh. and unfortunately it is commonly found late and so the prognosis is really poor because you know the esophagus is disrupted and you have invasion into surrounding tissue yes now what are some of the hallmark features of let's say a squamous sort of cancer i think this yes. generally applies to most squamous cell cancers well i think yeah as you said the the hallmark feature of a squamous cell cancer is to is to is that you'll see keratin uh, keratin pearls in the um, in the histology of yeah. it. And so these are world-shaped features on the histology which are due to an accumulation of keratin produced by the malignant squamous cells. Yeah, because uh, squamous cells normally produce keratin, especially um, uh, epithelial squamous cells. Mm. That's what really gives it that sort of thickening um, component to our skin. So yes. it's no surprise that these squamous cells also produce keratin. It's interesting because like, I, I think vaguely just... um. A bit off topic at the moment it was that esophageal uh, epithelial cells aren't usually the yeah, cells, yeah exactly so but, but yeah they are malignant so that's a really good ob- good good observation there mm. um it's yeah it's interesting because mucosal cells don't mucosal epithelium doesn't yeah. normally produce keratin yeah. but obviously mm. this is an exception yeah um so how would you treat it so treat uh, treatment usually responds to radiotherapy but um unfortunately that's not curative is it yeah you generally can't really cure too many cancers with radiotherapy and obviously mm. if you catch it too late it's probably already spread which makes it that's really true. tricky it's unfortunate so that's squamous cell carcinomas of the esophagus what yep. about adenocarcinomas i think we alluded to this in our gastrointestinal podcast mm-hmm. um many episodes ago yeah okay so with this one it's Probably one of it's the most common cancer you you think of when you associate it with Barrett's esophagus. Mm. Um, so Barrett's esophagus is a huge risk factor when it comes to uh, development of adenocarcinomas. And if you're not sure what we mean by Barrett's esophagus, have a listen to our gastrointestinal dyspepsia talk. We mm. we go through it in quite quite a length. All right. So you said Barrett's esophagus is a risk factor. Are there any other risk factors for it? Yeah, so once again, smoking is a risk factor, and radiation exposure also apparently increases mm. the risk towards it i think some people have actually found links to diets like a balanced diet with fruits and vegetables would could possibly decrease the risk yeah so it's protected yeah Yeah. and also particular strains of um h pylori also 
Uh, Isn't that interesting? Are protective. Yeah, yeah some strains, whereas H. pylori is a risk factor for another type of stomach cancer, which we'll talk about hmm. um, in, in a moment. Yeah. Yeah, but certain strains, I don't know too much about which strains and why, no. but they can be protective as well. Yeah. Because we're using uh, proton pump inhibitors more and more to treat gastroesophageal reflux disease, there is probably an expectation that the incidence of Barrett's esophagus falls over time without okay. increased usage of it. Sure. And so, so hopefully... Yeah. You know, adenocarcinomas will become or contribute to less and less of the esophageal type of carcinomas. So, what are like the how is the pathogenesis? Let's briefly cover the pathogenesis about Barrett's esophagus. I think for people mm. that don't want to go and listen to that entire episode. No. Okay, so Barrett's esophagus talks about a metaplastic change of um, squamous cell to a columnar epithelial cell, mm. right? Um, so this occurs in the distal one third region of the um, of the esophagus. Yep. This is mainly due to acid reflux from the GI tract into the esophagus. And so this bombardment of acid makes the cells change into a more acid-resistant columnar type. But this metaplastic change is essential. Um, is, although it is physiological, long-term, uh, over a long period of time, mm. this can lead to cancerous changes yeah. In, yeah. in a nutshell, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah. So you're going from sort of a um, squamous epithelium, shadowy squamous epithelium, to columnar glandular, so adenocarcinoma yes. transformation as well. And yes. I think from memory, or going back to our talk um, yes. in the gastro episode, the columnar epithelial cells mimic the duodenal cells. So they don't even right, come yes. from the stomach area. They come from the metaplasia reflects what the cell types that you might find in the duodenum, which is hmm. also very interesting. Yes. And it usually occurs in a distal one that's very close to the um, the cardia, so the opening of the stomach mm -hmm. um, and, and very close to the fundus. Yes. Whereas squamous cells, interestingly, occur in the upper one-third okay. of the esophagus. And I think yeah. if you consider like, you know, one of the risk factors was really high temperature. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you burn your mouth, it's going to be further up. It's not going to be all the way down no. towards the, you know, by that time, That's you true. would have damaged the tissue in the upper esophagus much more than the. So I just, I want us to sort of form these patterns to make it a bit easier to learn this topic because it can be yes. a little bit complicated. So Good what point. about treatment, Andy? How do you treat this? So in this type, apparently, the treatment is more responsive to chemotherapy. So that's another distinguishing feature between the uh, squamous cells as well as the adenocarcinomas. Yeah. So squamous was radiotherapy. This was chemotherapy. Mm. There's other lo lots of different histological subtypes that you might also see as well, undifferentiated large cell, small cell, which... I think maybe comes from the lung, metastasis mm. from the lung. But we won't talk about too much of that because really mm. squamous and adenocarcinomas are the really important ones. Mm. Um, and as we mentioned, squamous cell is radiosensitive and adenocarcinoma is chemosensitive. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, these guys can metastasize to the liver, the lung, as well as the adrenal gland. And so the risk of metastasis can be significant in these patients. Mm -hmm. What about survival? So survival of the... Um of these cancers, usually a five-year survival rate of a stage one cancer is about 95%. So I'd say that's pretty good, right? Um, whereas a stage four survival, uh, medium survival, mm -hmm. unfortunately, is about less than one year. So yeah. it, depending on the stage, once again, the survival. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it makes sense. The, the more, well, stage four is metastasis, as we discussed in our staging lecture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if it's metastasis, your survival is going to be really poor. Yeah. All right, so let's move further lower down in the GI team. Let's talk about um, gastric carcinomas. So in the stomach. Yeah, so we're talking about in the stomach. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the demographic features of this cancer? Okay. Um, from what I know, it's the second most common tumor um, worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it's predominantly a disease found in developing countries as yeah. well as um, Japan. Japan probably needs a special mention uh, 
for later on as well to mm. do the screening, etc. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's less common in Australia. But unfortunately, it's very lethal, isn't it? Um, mm. And it, I guess it's lethal because it tends to present late. But the exception is in Japan because of their high incidence of mm-hmm. gastric cancers. They've got a good screening um, programming place, exactly. and in, in Japan they catch these early. So I think the survival is much better in Japan than it is anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's also bad is that you have very limited treatment options for this um, cancer, unfortunately. So what yeah. are some of the risk factors? We mentioned that H. pylori can be somewhat protective in some types of adenocarcinomas of the mm-hmm. esophagus, but it's yeah. a bit opposite case here isn't it exactly because h pylori is also a major is a major risk factor which um which could lead to the increase in the gastric cancer Mm. yeah yeah exactly so you can have um gastritis as well that could be a uh, could increase the risk um Mm -hmm. nitrosoamine salts can be a problem low consumption of fruit and vegetables so we mentioned in Mm -hmm. esophageal cancers increased consumption is probably a good thing in this case obviously if you consume also less in this circumstance it's a bad Yes. Surprise, surprise. Smoking comes comes here again. Of course. Um, radiation and some genetic risk factors as well. Do you want to maybe mention the e-cadherin thing? Yeah. So yeah. with um with e-cadherin, essentially, if if you're unfamiliar with what it is, it's it it helps from a, a basic understanding is that e-cadherin helps cells stick together, mm. right? And so there is a linkage between e-cadherin as well as familial gastric cancers. Yeah. So I think they can cause... Do they increase the chance? They of cause... Uh, um, so e-cadherin is also important for breast cancer when we talk about, when we get to talk about that. But in the context of gastric cancers, mm. they cause a special type of gastric cancer because you remember you can have two types, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes. But yes, yeah, so it increases the occurrence of one type of um, gastric cancer, one histological type of gastric cancer. Mm. And um, surprise, surprise, hereditary non-polyposis um, colorectal cancer Mm-hmm. again, can do this as well. And if you're not yeah. sure what we're talking about, listen to our colorectal cancers, yes. particularly the genetic one. I think we talk about, mm-hmm. we place more of an emphasis on, on, on the genetics yeah. of, of this cancer more in that talk. Yeah. So what would be some of the histological features of this cancer? So histologically wise, um, these gastric carcinomas are usually adenocarcinomas. And what they would do is that they, they follow a particular typical pattern of pathogenesis. So usually you would have an inflammation of the, um, the stomach, so gastritis, which would lead to intestinal mesoplasia. Mm-hmm. So this, the, the intestinal cells are, are, are adapting into a different form, which could potentially lead to a dis, dysplasia. Mm-hmm. So they have a malignant potential. And then they would lead to intramucosal carcinomas, which then further erode and become invasive car- invasive cancers. Yeah, so that's the yeah. typical pattern. Yeah, perfect. That's that's Where, really good. Whereabouts would you find it? So they can often involve the lesser curvature. Yep. Uh, particularly in the uh, in the vicinity of the antrum of the stomach. So just before you reach the pylorus of the pyloric sphincter, that's where the antrum is located. Okay. But I think there are two clear types that you tend to see. You have the intestinal pattern. Yes. And that's where you get a really bulky tumor forming and yes. it, um, it has quite a lot of glandular because I mean it is an adenocarcinoma after all so yes. lots of glandular structures yes. and it grows along the border of um, along the border of the, the curvature mm-hmm. and it the mass that it forms it protrudes into the stomach so yes. maybe it may affect digestion and the normal activities of, of the stomach because of its uh, protrusion mm-hmm. and it can start to cause ulceration so you might get some bleeding and then mm-hmm. you might also uh, perhaps have melina possibly because it's further up or even um, vomiting your blood if it's really severe in terms of the glands they produce lots of mucus as well so mucins and that's maybe a feature of the fact that they originate from uh, or a subtype of adenocarcinomas yes what about 
sort of the genetic implications of this. I know there might be some relationships with cholera, a colorectal gene that we've talked about. I think you're talking, referring to the APC gene mm. that was found in um, uh, that was related to the FAPs. But yes, um, yeah. I think there, there's a genetic component of that. Yeah. Do you want to maybe go through the other type that you might expect to see, the diffuse mm. infl- um, infiltrative uh, pattern as well? Yeah. So the other type, as you mentioned, the diffuse infiltrative pattern um, of the adenocarcinomas can form these things called a signet ring cells. Mm. So they, they have a particular distinct appearance histologically. They have a component where it's the loss of the E cadherin, the, the thing that keeps the cells stuck together. Dude. Which makes sense why it's diffused, isn't it? Mm, because they once they um I think they won't be able to to stick together, so I think that that makes sense to me that they would spread around and, mm. and become more diffusing. Yeah, and sense. they can't then form glands. So despite being of adenocarcinoma mm-hmm. origin, they don't form glands. So I don't True. think they have as much secretions. Yeah. But they still have vacuoles, don't they, inside them? Vacuoles containing possibly mucin. Mm. Um, but they don't. I don't think they actually secrete mucus or mucins as much as the um, inter- intestinal um, uh, pattern that you see. Yeah. And because they, um, oh, I think that's the, because of that, that's the, that's why they're called signet cells. The the appearance of the nuclei on one side of the, um, one side of, on, on the cell. Yeah. And the other thing was as, because they don't have the ECAD here and they also form these small clusters of cells mm. as well, which often could be mistaken for inflammatory cells apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what are, I guess, treatment approaches for this, um, uh, for gastric cancers? One of the primary curative methods for uh, for gastric cancers is surgery. So yep. removing, removing the, um, the cells that seem malignant. Mm-hmm. Um, chemotherapy also uh, could be more palliative yeah. than, than anything. That, I guess that's the treatments. Yeah, it's the treatment options. I think um, in terms of intestinal, we like as we haven't really mentioned that mm-hmm. um, intestinal pattern is more common in men, and it has a propensity to um, spread to the distal part of the stomach, okay, and also to the liver. Whereas the diffuse one is more common in premenopausal women, mm-hmm. and it tends to spread to the ovaries, which is really interesting. Huh. From the <laughs> Yeah, how unusual is that? Uh, I'm not sure whether it's hematogenous or yeah. by the peritoneum. Yeah. But both of them also have a capacity to spread by the peritoneal, peritoneal system. So uh-huh. it's very concerning because then once they seed into the peritoneum, they can really go anywhere in the in the abdominal cavity. Yeah. And again, the survival is really bad. If you're a stage one, you know, the survival is okay. No, uh, it's very good, actually. It's 95%, uh, five-year median survival. But if you're stage four, mm-hmm. 7%. Yeah, which is quite, um, quite, quite poor. Mm. So let's finish off this um, episode by talking about um, gastrointestinal stromal tumors. They're really interesting as well. Mm. Um, so where are they from? So it's stromal, so it means it's from a particular cell type, doesn't it? Yes, the stromal. I think um, from from what I'm associating with stroma is the surrounding tissue, mm-hmm. the, the connective tissue that's, yep. that's supporting the uh, the epithelium. I think that's right. Yeah, and so with um, so they are a mesenchymal tumor compared to pr- the previous one, which we all talked about, where um, carcinomas, which so are epithelial. epithelial. Yes. Yeah. So this is a mesenchymal tumor, and so uh, yeah, they they affect. The, the GI tract, and they, I think one of the origins is from the intestinal cells of Kajal. Mm, do you want to tell everyone what the Kajal I think Kajal was actually the pacemaker cells of Kajal. Yeah, it was. How interesting is that? That yes. these cancers stem from the cells of Kajal, which is, mm. you know, the pacemakers of the gut. They're the ones that set the slow waves. Mm. So, so, so yeah, to spell it out, so with these tumors, when they grow, they don't actually originate from the epithelium. So mm. you, you'll, you won't see it. When you look at a cross sectional slice, you'll be able to see that. 
they originate from like the second second layer of the of this uh, of the GI tract mm-hmm. rather than the the, uh, the luminal surface, the yeah. epithelial surface. Yeah, and what are some of the genetic changes that occur mm-hmm. in these sort of cancers? Two main changes I, I think um, that that I came across was the first one was KIT. And KIT is a tyrosine kinase. Mm. Um, and so what happens in the KIT mutation is that the tyrosine kinase is more constantly switched on, which would further lead to an increase in cell proliferation. Yes. And um, that would, I guess, a general rule of thumb would be increased tyrosine kinase, you would possibly get a tumor growing. Yeah, or cells. increased cell proliferation of, mm. of some sort. Yeah. Um, so that was an activating mutation, wasn't it? Um, there's something else. There's another activation that occurs in another pathway that's also important as well. Which one was that? So I think that... so. Majority of cancer, majority of gastrointestinal stromal tumors stem from KIT, but about 10 to 12% are caused by activation of the um, activated platelet-derived growth factor receptor alpha, which again has downstream signaling pathways, but this time it's a receptor. Okay. Whereas the KIT is more of a um, downstream oh, yes. in, in the pathway. Yes. Um, so yeah, so those two are the key causes of, of this type of cancer. Yep. I guess now that we're coming up to it, you can have different start classification or different um, ways of, um, or different syndromes associated with just as well. Do you want to maybe go through it? There's about four types, I think. So one of the types um, is this thing called a Carney's triad. So the, the syndrome is that it, it has GIST. So the um, gastrointestinal stromal tumor, mm. uh, coupled with pulmonary chondroma, yeah. and as well as a paraganglioma. Mm. So what these are, the paraganglioma is essentially a neuroendocrine tumor that's mostly benign. And um, a pulmonary chondrioma essentially is a cartilaginous or bony neoplasm yeah. that is um, well encapsulated and, and you find it in the lungs. But often it can also often be mistaken for metastasis. That's right. Yeah, mm. and then you can have the familial gist, which is a uh, which is somewhat a rare autosomal dominant germ like KIT or PD um, platelet derived growth factor mutation receptor mutation. Yeah, yeah receptor mutation. Yeah, and I think you can get pediatric gist as well, where um, at the median age that you tend to see this is um, around the age of twelve, whereas commonly you might expect this in the forty to sixty age year group. Mm-hmm. In the pediatric, as the name suggests, it occurs in much younger. Okay, uh, and it's more common in females, and it's more of the epi um, epithelioid, so of a epithelial epithelial appearing type we talk about i guess some of the appearances once we talk about the histology of it yeah is there another one as well i think the last one or uh, the fourth type that we're going to mention today is the nf1 associated nf1 stands for the neurofibromatosis type 1 and um uh, histologically i think it's usually a spin spindle shape Mm. um it's cd107 negative could be found intestinal or often uh, at at multiple sites Mm. and um in terms of treatment wise we'll, we'll mentioned later on but with the nf1 associated type it's imatinib resistance yeah exactly right yeah. so now i guess we're up now that we talked about the different types how does it actually look as i mentioned before these are these are tumors that grow from the mesenchymal um layer so this I, I believe like the submucosa onwards and they can be quite large and eventually can grow up to about 30 centimeters in size which is huge compared mm. to considering the the size of the gastrointestinal tract yeah tube, uh, the the diameter of the tubes and um, they form a solitary, well-circumscribed fleshy mass. So they're well-rounded borders, etc. And they're covered by the mucosa that is intact because um, the mucosa itself 
is not normal, affected. isn't it? It's kind yeah. of like the submucosa, which is where your connective tissue is, your adventitia mm. is that exactly becomes problematic. Any other sort of appearances, Andy? Well, the cells could possibly appear elongated, yeah, a spindle cell type, which we mentioned, and um, just with the epithelial cell type could have the epithelioid. Appearance, yeah. yeah, and so we mentioned that in the fem- uh, in the pediatric um, gist type, you can, uh, which is more common in females, you tend to get the epithelial cell type. So now you guys can kind of understand where we're going with this. Mm. How does the tumor behave, Andy? I know it's got some interesting behavior depending on the location that it's it's mm. uh, it's found. Exactly. Um, so with the behavior of the tumor, the histology doesn't really play much of a um, of an effect because it's more about where it is located rather than what it looks like. How interesting. Whereas in other cancers, histology is crucial because of the grade mm-hmm. and also um, and the grade telling you how likely it is to possibly exactly. metastasize. But here is location, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and you could probably imagine like these, these cause these large masses to, um, to grow from the wall of the intestinal tract. Mm. And depending on whereabouts you find it, it's going to affect different functions. In the esophagus, when you find it, it's it's more of a rare presentation in the esophagus. But if you find it there, they are more malignant. Stomach and yes, a higher risk of metastases, isn't it? Yes. Wow. Um, with the stomach-wise, they are more you, you're more commonly to find them in the stomach. Uh, probably the fundus uh, in the fundus, it's more malignant than if found in the antrum. Yeah. Um, in the small bowel, they're more they're less likely to be malignant. And um, further, if you find them in the colorectal region, then they're also less common. They're, they could be a bit aggressive. 50-50, I think, is the chance. The way I remember is the closer it is to the mouth, okay. the more malignant. The further away it is from the mouth, the less malignant. So oh, it's yes, obviously, if it's in the point. esophagus, yep. it's more malignant. If it's near the fundus, which is near the esophagus of the mm-hmm. stomach, mm-hmm. Uh, in the stomach, it's more malignant compared to the antrum. And obviously, mm-hmm. small bowel is less malignant as well. That's the way I've, I've memorized it and understand it. Yeah. In terms of some of the symptoms, why do, do we develop these symptoms um, associated with this cancer? Is it because they, uh, obviously they can spread, but I think they can get really large as well, don't they? Yes, exactly. It's the size, the, the mass leads to most of what the symptoms that mm. you experience. And when they do spread wise, like, you know, they, they go usually to the liver or into the peritoneum. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Absolutely right. So mm. how do we manage it? I and mean, this has got a very interesting, I, I actually did not know that mm. this drug could be used in this circumstance until mm. I, I um, began learning about this cancer. Yeah. We've come across this drug before, haven't we? Imagine it. Yes, we have. BCR able? Ah, uh, yes. yes. So for CM- CML, so chronic yes. myeloid leukemias. If you're not sure, go and have a listen to our CML lectures. Mm. Essentially, because Imatinib was the specially designed tyrosine kinase inhibitor that shuts off the increased expression of uh, tyrosine kinase. Um, well, yeah, BCR able in particular, but able, for some reason, yeah. it actually works with KIT. I know. Yeah, That's which is really interesting. So in KIT mutations, they respond to um, the Imatinib as a treatment. Mm. And uh, yeah, so essentially, it it shuts off the tyrosine kinase, and and hopefully from that reduces the cell proliferation. Yeah, but um, you know how we said in CML that over time patients treated with emetinib can develop resistance. True. Guess what? The same thing happens here as well. Oh, great. So these guys can develop resistance, um, mm-hmm. and then so you have some second line options. Sunitinib is an example. Okay, but. It's not as predictable in terms of response. Um, okay. Uh, to to response to the tumor from this agent. So that's it for GIST. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think we covered a general rule of thumb. Yeah. So let's. There's some other interesting, I guess, lymphomas that 
Yep. We should mention because they can occur in the upper GI specifically. Do you okay. want to quickly mention, um, mm. there's two examples that I think we should really okay. cover. So are you talking about lymphomas that occur in the uh, mucosal associated lymphoid mm. tissue? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's one example. Mm. Um, What's so, the other one? And the other example was um, that um, uh, enteropathy associated T-cell lymphomas. So I, okay. I don't think we really covered T-cell lymphomas in our... Um, no, we didn't. Um, they were. We, we mentioned it was a rarer form, and yeah. um, exam-wise, I think we would just focus on the B-cells, which were more common. Exactly. But I think okay. um, uh, enteropathy-associated T-cell lymphomas yes. are a rare complication of celiac disease. Oh. Yeah. So that's why you really want to manage celiac disease well, because yep. if you don't, then there's that risk of T-cell lymphomas. Oh. Um, and obviously, with gastric cancer, you can have secondary metastases from yeah. other parts of the GIT tract or yeah. from other organs like the lungs, the larynx, the, the thyroid, for example. Yes. But I think we should leave it at that. We've covered all the key mm. important subtypes of the gastric cancers. Yeah. Is there anything anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I think um, I think we've talked enough. Yeah, I think we give our audience a bit of a break. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, yeah. We're going to hopefully move to a different cancer type. Um, so we're, I think we might talk about some of the thoracic cancers um, next. Mm. So, yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks Thank for you. joining Thank you for listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, selective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.